When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 102 of the Burden and Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest is a uh, guest comes to me from my friends over at C.S. Lewis Publicist and Company, and his name is Joel Malkoff. Now, Joel is also known as the ethics giver because he demonstrates that ethical business decision making isn't just the right thing to do. It's the profitable thing to do. Over the course of his 45-year career as a business executive and entrepreneur, he has generated more than a half a billion dollars in sales. He is a writer and coach on ethical business practices and principles, and he serves as general manager and vice president of a corporation that manufactures and sells medical and scientific research products worldwide. Now, again, this was a great conversation because Joel's fixation on ethics and ethical business practices is something that, in my opinion, uh, we really, really need in corporate America right now. And it leads to better leadership, more success, higher employee engagement. All of these things are things that Joel and I'll talk about over the course of this discussion. So with that, let me go ahead and get out of the way and let you hear it straight from my guest mouth, Mr. Joel Malkoff. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon, and today's guest, as you heard in the pre-roll bio there, is Mr. Joel Malkoff. Joe, thanks for joining us today. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Earl. Oh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm truly blessed to have you as a guest here, and I, I really like the title of your book, uh, Selling Ethically, A Business Parable Connecting Integrity with Profits, and I think that is a very important message, and the fact that you're talking about ethics makes me really, really want to hear uh, your answer to the question I start everybody off with. What does the phrase burden of command mean to you? Uh, thank you. I think it's a great question. You know, I, I, try to, um, I try to cast that question in an essence of uh, a burden of command. Um, rather than a sales or a marketing role. And to me, it's, uh, it's about delegation. So it's, it's the ability to uh, delegate tasks. Uh, so I think from a military point of view, it's uh, a commander, an officer, you know, being able to get his people to do uh, what needs to be done. Um, so to me, delegation is, is really the key. And the subcategory of that is based on trust. So, um, you know, the people need to trust uh, their commander. The commander needs to have trust in them. Mm. Well, and, and I like that. And I think that is very uh, a very good segue kind of into talking about ethics, because I would imagine it's very, very hard to build any type of trust if you're not operating in an ethical fashion, right? Yes, I think that's one of the most difficult situations you're um your employees or people under your command, you know, need to have trust in you. So, you know, how does uh, how does a manager uh, or a commander build that kind of trust? Um, you really want to do it in uh, a non-forceful way, if at all possible. So, when you're uh, leading by command and you're uh, projecting things like uh, you're not misrepresenting anything, you're not misleading anyone. 
um, you're providing full disclosure. When you can provide those three things, you're you're creating a very trusting environment. Um, that's really the key, I think, from a manager or uh, a commander point of view. And then your goal, you know, how you look at your people, um, how you delegate is based on your trust in them, uh, their capabilities, uh, what you perceive they're able to do. But um, selling ethically, if you will, or commanding, you know, ethically, uh, you need to instill that that trust. Your your people need to uh, believe in you. Yeah, definitely. I, I I could not agree more. And you know, I think it's important. Uh, maybe before we get a little too much further into this conversation, uh, I always like for folks to start with like a common understanding. So I'm sure a lot of folks out there have an idea of what ethics are. But I, I, I'm yes. really curious to you when you how do you define ethics? Uh, great question. I think from um, daily activity, people like to function, if they can, in a, in a very honest way. So again, if you're dealing um, at an honest level, you're not misleading, you're not misrepresenting, you're not giving uh, partial information, you're giving full disclosure. Um, so you're creating an honest situation, honest relationship, um, and you're building a degree of uh, integrity up. So how is ethics different from dealing honestly? Um, ethics is the layer that deals with uh, fairness and goodness. So you're going beyond, um, if you will, the letter of the law. So we all have to agree with the letter of the law. We all have to uh, oblige by whatever is legal. But, you know, as you know, uh, you can go right to the legal end of something and still not be very uh, ethical or dealing very honestly. You know, there's loopholes and such. So it's really, it's really dealing with the spirit of the law, understanding what your buyer or people that report to you, what their real intent is. So ethics is really fairness and, and goodness. It's going beyond just uh, conforming to the letter of the law. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that. And, you know, we even when we talk about these things, we, we naturally kind of delineate them because we talk about doing what's uh, legal, moral and ethical. And and so, you know, I, I like how you define that and, and gives us a good place to start, you know, the conversation. So now everybody is on the same page with what ethics is. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, no, definitely. I appreciate the way you, you put that out there. And. What I like about the title of this book is you, you chose the words selling ethically. And I think most people, when they think about experiences that they've had where they've been sold to, whether it is, uh, you know, some type of home service or, you know, the kind of stereotypical uh, car salesman experience, yes. a lot of people probably don't really associate ethics and selling very closely. So how do you bring those two together? Yeah, uh, I totally agree with you. I mean, the term selling uh, in itself doesn't doesn't really give uh, a good feeling to most people. They do relate to, as you would say, you know, that that used car salesman uh, prototype kind of person or they had experience with uh, multi-level marketing or infomercials or uh, some bait and switch that a store might have did to, you know, drag you in. Um, or even, you know, real estate situations where you feel like the uh, salesman wasn't being very open to you. So um, tying in those two words becomes almost an oxymoron. But the the terms of really being ethically ethical when you sell is so important. The salespeople, which is where the book is directed to, uh, or anybody in that environment, such as uh, uh, people that are doing marketing or advertising, uh, you know, making sure you don't mislead, misrepresent, uh, omit facts. Um, all those things create um, an environment where you can build trust. And if you can build trust, you can build a long-term relationship. And once you build a long-term relationship, then you have a profitable situation because long-term relationships um, they yield the ability to um, 
have trust between the buyer and seller. So um, you can sell larger orders. Uh, again, ethically, uh, your orders can be more profitable. Uh, you don't have to spend a lot of time trying to fix a relationship where the buyer doesn't trust you and you kind of have to work your way back. Um, it's much less expensive to market to people you already know that you have good relationships with than trying to cold call and finding new customers. It creates a lot of turn. So, um, so the key really to selling ethically is building long-term relationships. And through long-term relationships, you can yield higher profits. Um, so that's where it gets a little tricky with ethics and morality, because what you should feel that your personal ethics should align with your business ethics. There should be no difference. You know, you shouldn't act differently at work uh, than you would on a personal basis. So why would you want to be ethical? Um, from uh, a morality point of view, you want to be ethical because that's the right thing to do. Whether you believe in God or a higher spirit, you know, it is the right thing to do. But if you're looking to sell a book that is selling ethically and you're looking to project uh, ethics uh, to the world, then you need a reason for a salesperson or a marketeer to buy the book. So that's why my subtitle ties in integrity with profits, because I don't want to preach. Uh, it's, it's really not my goal. Um, my goal is to make somebody understand that they could make a lot more money if they're ethical and they can build long-term relationships through that. Um, so that's a little bit of the trick. You know, why would you want to be ethical? Because it's right to be ethical. But from a salesperson's point of view, a uh, marketeer, you, you need, you need uh, a better reason. I need a better reason to sell ethics, if you will, to salespeople and marketeers. And it has to be, this is the way to build a long-term relationship. This is the way to really build true trust. And it will yield higher revenue and profit. Yeah. No, again, I, I, I like that because, you know, in my experiences, you know, talking with people who are in sales positions and things like that, uh, you know, the, there's a huge burden, kind of going back to the title of the show, there's a huge burden on the, the leaders of the organization to build uh, that level of culture and understanding. And it seems like a lot of, programs uh, have sales incentives that actually kind of encourage unethical practices because it's all 100% numbers and performance driven. Uh, yes. So, yeah. So what would you say to those programs? Like how could they go from being that kind of just number sales performance driven uh, and, and kind of encouraging unethical practices to getting on track to ethical selling? Yeah, that, that's a great question. You know, it's a big dilemma that I had when I first broke into sales. Where I had a sales territory, you have a quota, um, you need to meet your quotas. So what do you need to do on a monthly basis to meet the quota? You know, are you somewhat misleading? Are you slandering your competitors? Uh, are you uh, providing things to the buyer in terms of uh, free allowances or, you know, some type of bribe, you know, to get your order, to get your number? Um, and your regional manager and their national sales manager and everybody higher up in the company, it's a number. So uh, you need to get that number. So it, it's a fight on, on a daily basis. Uh, that's why it becomes very difficult for a salesperson, a large corporation that has sales quotas to um, stay as ethical as they might want to be. Um, because you you may be sacrificing a short-term gain, uh, a fast order, to a long-term um, relationship development. So how does a company do that? A company needs to do that from the top down. So uh, unfortunately, if you're um, a public company and you need to set some number to meet your sh stakeholders' uh, desires, then many times the quotas just roll downhill with any, without any logic. 
Um, you know, you want to make a 10% increase and, you know, what do you need to do that in sales? Uh, what do you need to cut back? Um, what is the whole world need to do to make that 10%? How does that uh, filter down to the region and then eventually to that salesman's uh, territory? There may be no logic to the sales quota. It may have nothing to do with uh, anything that makes sense. Uh, there may be no new products. There, there could be a, a bad company reputation. There may be a new competitor that's kind of cleaning your clock. So uh, you're giving a quota, uh, you're trying to achieve a number, but there's no logic behind it. So when you do top-down sales forecasting, um, there's a big danger to do that. You know, the ideal situation is bottom up and uh, you kind of look what's going on in the field and then you work your way through there. It's kind of like a battle plan, you know, for the military too. Um, things still have to be realistic. You still need to have uh, the right amount of resources, you know, products and people, you know, to to achieve your goal. Um so how does that salesperson do that on your question, you know, on a one-to-one -one basis? It's, it's a fight. And uh, sometimes you have to sell your sales potential versus your monthly sale. You have to say, I'm building this relationship and I'm going to see a return, you know, in the second quarter, but I'm not going to see it in the first quarter. And if I slam dunk and I push this person to buy more stock than they may need, it's going to cost me in the long run. So it's really getting your immediate manager to understand what you're doing. Um, and then it starts going uphill. You know, he's able to communicate that to his national sales manager and it starts working its way up. But, you know, it's realism. Um, and you have to do that through, you know, telling the truth and, and developing ethical relationships. Yeah, no, I, as you were talking, it reminded me of a uh, story of a gentleman I knew that, uh, well, no, uh, that lives up in uh, northern Indiana. And this was 10 or 15 years ago that this uh, incident happened to him. But he was in the market for a, uh, for a pontoon boat. Mm. And he goes to the lot and he uh, gets a salesman. Now, there's there are two manufacturers that are really popular up in that area. And I'm not going to name their names, but I'll, I'll just say one of them is John's Boats and one of them is Bob's Boats. Right. So this was John's Boats lot. And they had the, the gentleman, he wanted this one model for whatever reason that was made by Bob's Boats. But John's lot had a, uh, had a used boat uh, from Bob's that he wanted to, that, that was there that my friend wanted to buy. Yeah. So, so he goes to the lot, he's talking to the salesperson, and all this person does is trash Bob's boat building. Oh, you know, they leak, they've got bad welds, they've got all this good stuff. And he talks about buying that boat. Well, my friend's still in the market for a boat, and about six months or so later, uh, a very similar version shows up. It was a Bob's boat on Bob's boat lot. Right. Well, he goes there to buy the boat, and lo and behold, for some reason, that salesman where they got fired or whatever, is now working at Bob's boat lot. And my friend got him <laughs> as his salesman again. And he could tell, he said, I could tell right away he didn't recognize me. And I'm like, well, tell me about the boat. And so he starts building it up. He's like, oh, you know, we do this. We have some of the best welds in the, build, uh, in the business. Nothing's ever going to fail. And he said, now, I looked at him and says, you don't remember me at all, do you? He goes, why? He goes, six months ago, you told me the exact opposite about these boats. He said, I will not buy a boat from you. Get me a different salesperson. Wow. And it boiled down to what you were talking about there. He he didn't know what to trust from this guy. Yeah. Because on one hand, he's trashing the product, and now he's trying to sell the product. Wow. And, and so that's a, you know, I that's think that's kind of. a story. <laughs> yeah, it's a tragic story, but yeah, it's, it's a good story that highlights what you're talking about, right? Yeah, I, I think one of um, it, it's a great story, and one of the keys in my book is making sure you don't uh, slander a competitor. So um, I tell all my salespeople that, and uh, it becomes difficult. You know, when you're under pressure, the competitor is winning. Um, it, it's hard not to say anything negative um, about the competitor, even if you kind of lace it in a nice kind of way. It, it's still kind of negative. So. Um, one of the stories in my book, um, 
because it is a parable and it is in essence my life's journey in uh, in the parables uh, form. So I had a salesperson that um, was competing in a hospital with uh, with a product and actually um, the hospital wanted a feature that the product doesn't have. So the salesperson, I was there as the manager, the salesperson uh, said, oh, you know, we will have that product and that feature and we won't have, we wouldn't have that feature for 18 months. So um, it was very misleading. And what I had the salesperson do after we left the demonstration was uh, communicate to the buyer that we wouldn't have that feature for a year and a half if they need to purchase something right away. Um, went at the company to uh, satisfy them, and uh, and much to the surprise of my salesperson, I, I told them to tell the buyer uh, that they should purchase the competitive product. Um, it happened to work out well, and in the uh, midterm of it, the buyer was so impressed by the person's honesty um, and saying that she was just unaware that it wasn't going to be uh, produce that quickly, that feature onto the product that the first time the buyer needed more, the university uh, medical center, uh, she was called. So it even went beyond uh, not slandering a competitor, it was even recommending a competitor. So you built that uh, long-term relationship. The key really when you're dealing with a, a competitor is to do your best to point out your features that are unique and and benefitize those um, and through the selling of the features that you have that are unique you're pointing out what the competitor doesn't have um, and that really winds up being the key and you can even compliment the competitor uh, about many things um, you know example if I if I stretched your you know boat scenario uh, it would be you know they make a great hull and we make a great hull and you know we guarantee our hole for seven years and you don't even have to say they guarantee their hole for four years um, yeah. so you can you can compliment a competitor point out your benefit and and develop that kind of trust um, and I think if uh, that salesperson did that and then that buyer saw the salesperson in another place um, the buyer would know that the salesperson really talked about both products in a somewhat a favorable way. And then the second place that the new the salesman was located, he can now point out the newer things that were added to that particular uh, model boat. Um, the buyer still has trust. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, there was another example that popped in my mind while you were talking there. It was a few years back at uh, E3, the Electronics Expo. It was the uh, CEO of, of Sony, and he, he made a statement. Uh, it basically said, look, if you're looking for a really fun family gaming console, go buy yourself a, a, a Nintendo. But if you're looking for an ultra-realistic, immersive uh, sports shooter gaming type platform, then you need to buy a PlayStation. And and he even went as far as to say, I own a Nintendo for playing games with my family. And and I think he did what you just said there, right? He he different. He didn't yeah. disparage them. He differentiated and and gave the benefits of both. And now it's your decision as a, as the consumer of which one matters most to you, right? Yeah, I mean, it's perfect. And even as a sales tactic, uh, and it's not an ethical tactic, it's just a sales tactic, you know, um, being very upfront and lowering the buyer's resistance. So when you turn around and and you immediately say, you know, there's only two competitors in this world and, uh, and actually the other competitor makes, you know, a really great product. And if you're looking for this, this, and this, this is a great product to buy. You know, you can almost see the buyer take a deep breath and realize that that he's not going or she is not going to have to be on an alert, you know, with her ears perched open, you know, trying to figure out is the person telling the truth or not, because you actually um, started with not selling and then you can get into selling. So it, it's a way to lower, uh, lower a buyer's resistance initially just by... Um, 
surprising them with things that they're normally not used to because of um, the current sales environment in most industries. Yeah. Well, speaking of sales environment and, and industries, you're you're in the you know the medical device and, and testing field, right? Yes. Right. Well, over the past let's just say year plus now, you know, we've been going through this uh, COVID nineteen pandemic, and you know we've seen this uh, this trust and and or lack of trust kind of play out on a national stage specifically. Uh, you know, with with your industry, I don't know if your business has been impacted directly by this or not. Yes, quite a bit, but on a positive way. Well, good. No, no, that's good. And, and it's it's you know, I think you know, my question is is with all of the various information sources and disinformation sources that are out there now, especially around something like this, how can you? And it sounds like you you've got a good answer for this. You know, how can an organization really kind of cut through? all of the static and noise that's out there from all of the various sources of talking heads thinking they have all the information. Yeah, it's, it's so difficult. And, you know, with, uh, with the pandemic, it brings everybody to a higher level. So, you know, the people that are doing in my company, the people that are doing technical support, um, or outside vendors that help us, uh, with our computer networking system, there's there's so much acquisitions going on and there's so many promises that are being broken uh, that this pandemic environment is really pushing people to the point of view of desperation where um, where they are uh, hurting other people and in essence themselves because they're they're looking to survive and you know when you're dealing with survival um, there's a high degree of ethics that can be uh, compromised. Uh, in the industry I'm in right now, uh, we sell research equipment to uh, university and pharmaceuticals. So if you can imagine, everybody is buying our equipment to um, uh, in a discovery phase for uh, diagnosis and for, uh, for cure. So our business, uh, thank God, has been very, uh, very, very good because of this environment. But um, a good example, or would be this morning, you know, I, I heard on the news that uh, the FDA is looking to put some constraints on face masks where they're going to um, start uh, evaluate, evaluating it, uh, classifying it. Uh, so this way people have a better comfort level. What is, what is a good face mask? You know, an N95, you know, something cloth, uh, something material, something reusable, something, you know, washable. Is uh, one layer good? Is two layers good? You know, do you know it's good if you can't breathe well? Um, you know, no one really knows. It's, right. it's this great mystery. Um, and it's because no one is really um, defining any true parameters, you know, what is good, what is bad, you know, and that's what we really count on the FDA to do. Um, but they're over their head and, you know, they're dealing with things to keep people um, alive through vaccines and injections. So uh, they probably reach a level of with a face mask, you know, do anything. It's better than nothing. Um, but now we're reaching a point where uh, now the FDA is feeling a little more comfortable with uh, higher priority things that they have a handle on. Now they're drilling down and saying, okay, how are we really protecting ourselves? Three feet, six feet, face mask, face shield. Um, so now there's a little more protection in that world. Um, it, it's a difficult environment. You know, the pandemic uh, created um, quite a lot of unethical sellers, and that's beyond the obvious where, you know, people are looking to sell at the very beginning, uh, you know, gouging uh, prices for everything from toilet paper to hand cleaners. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that gets flushed out very quickly because most states have laws against that type of price gouging. Uh, but it's the gray period where it gets difficult. And, and that's what I'm dealing with. You know, my goal is not the black and white. That's obvious to most people. It's that gray scale, you know, the spirit of the law versus the, the letter of the law. Well, yeah, no, I mean, you, and you brought up a lot there because, 
you know, you're right. It, it's, you know, I mean, we had some standards for masks before. That's what the N95 and, and the N rating system is. But it, it seemed like as soon as the pandemic hit and they started talking about masks, like you couldn't turn around without there being a new company popping up selling some type of face covering. Yeah. Uh, and, and you, you, you know, I found myself asking that very question is, you know, well, how do I know, like, what is the testing process? What are their certification processes? Or is this just me basically taking a t-shirt and wrapping it around my face? Is it going to be just as effective? Yeah, you're right. You, there, you, there really is no uh, education, which is really the key to my business. Um, you know, in terms of creating a profit, you're creating an educational environment and, and the buyers understand what's going on. You know, if you look at an N95 and, and then all of a sudden we're getting a lot of N95 from overseas and now there's a lot of counterfeit N95. So, you know, even if you accept the fact that the N95 is good um, and even that isn't really tested to the extreme it could be based on uh, the current COVID-19 and its variations, um, now you're not even sure if you buy an N95, is it an N95? Um, and then you have a lot of people doing infomercials, you know, pushing other things, uh, you know, reusables or uh, things that may be laced with uh, uh, copper that, you know, could have some effect. Um, it may, but, you know, where are the clinical tests? Where is the proof? Uh, we're left on our own, you know, un unfortunately. <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, again, with the pandemic, you know, one of the things that we learned early on, and it, it kind of breeds mistrust, because people, a lot of people don't understand necessarily how something like this unfolds. But when you have varying guidance, uh, what, what you thought you knew turns out to not be 100% accurate. And so you have to adjust. And, and you know, how do you communicate that level of uncertainty and get people comfortable with why you have to switch tracks. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think the key is education. You know, getting people really to understand uh, what exactly is going on, and then having some type of uh, proof. So there's there's something that they can hang their hat on and say, okay, you know, here's a clinically validated study. Or you know, to me, testimonials are are really so strong. Uh, most people feel most most people feel very comfortable um, hearing from their colleagues. There's a high degree of mistrust in in salespeople and marketeers and uh, and advertisements, as you well know. So really, it's building uh, a network of uh, colleagues and referrals, and that is the best way to build long-term relationships and increase your sales. No, I, I love it. I love it. Um... You know, so I want to backtrack here a little bit because we were talking about uh, your book, Selling Ethically. And as you mentioned, it's kind of a parable uh, about yes. your journey. Um, and, and early on, you share uh, kind of a, a revelation. And, you know, with parables, yes. you never know how much is like 100% true and how much is kind of uh, for the story. But you, you share a story about like early in uh, uh, in the individual's career, you know, making some decisions that actually end up putting a competitor out of business yes. and, and, and then dealing with kind of the, uh, I'll say the, the spiritual and, and the ethical fallout of that decision. Uh, so, so talk about that a little bit, if you would. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. The, um, um, the main character book, David King is, uh, in essence me. And, uh, you know, I started, um, when I graduated college, uh, very Ivy League, very high, good thoughts about business. Um, and because it was 73 and the energy crunch, I couldn't find a job in a corporation. So I wound up working in a car dealership. So my initial mentors weren't as ethical as I might like. Um, and then from there, I went into uh, a large corporation selling lighting. Uh, I had an epiphany, if you will. And uh, then I got into the medical world, and that's where I have been for the last 25 years. So the the book itself is um, is that business journey. So in a particular case that you brought up, which was the first big question of the book, um, I'm in a competitive situation. I have the ability to crush my competitor because I'm 
I'm the leader. This is a new startup company. I have the financial resources to uh, give away my product and really crush the competitor. I have done that in the past. I'm questioning, should I do that right now? And uh, so that becomes the big question of the book. Um, and just not as a spoiler, um, I wind up uh, all of a sudden winding up in heavily caught and I'm justifying my career uh, in ethical and unethical decisions that I have made. Um, so there's me uh, going back to earth and seeing things that are going on uh, that I did 30 years ago, looking at it, seeing the ramifications of it, uh, and then going back to heavenly court and defending myself in front of a prosecutor and uh, angelic judges. Um, so that's kind of the premise of the book. And then at the end, I have to arrive at a conclusion. Do I want to do what I did years ago, uh, crush a competitor, uh, destroy the company, other people, their employees wind up being unemployed? Um, or do I want to do something where it's... Uh, it's not as aggressive as a loss leader, meaning a loss leader just dropping your price so low that you're selling it close to your cost and um, you really destroy the competitor. Or can I create a marketing advertising campaign that still makes a profit um, and creates a more fair and good uh, competitive environment? Uh, so that's kind of the conclusion of the book. Uh, what do I wind up doing? Yeah, no, and, and I I love that format because you know, um, you know, having done my my homework before we have our discussion here, you know, I've listened to a couple of other yes. podcasts, and you know, folks kind of compare it to like it's a wonderful life or something like that. Yes, uh, but you know the 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 book that it reminds me the most of, and I'm not sure if if you've ever read this, but um, it's a gentleman named Andy Andrews. Uh, he wrote a book called The Traveler's Gift, mm. and it, it's it's very similar kind of uh, uh, process there that his book goes through. Uh, you know, fictional character has some yes uh, has some encounters with people from history, and each one of them gives him a gift to mm. make his present self better. Uh, and the reason the only reason I bring that up is to you know because he sold a bunch of those books. Listeners, if you liked The Traveler's Gift, I can guarantee you that you're going to love selling ethically because it's very much in that same vein, very much that same type of uh, storytelling style. So if you like Traveler's Gift, get yourself a copy of Selling Ethically. You'll, you will not regret it. Uh, thank you, Earl. I, I think storytelling is just such a great way to... Uh, for people to learn, uh, 30 years ago, I, I read a book, uh, The Greatest Salesman of the World, Ag uh, Magdillo, and um, it, it kind of went through this uh, salesperson's experience in uh, a biblical marketplace, and it kind of laid out the, the principles that you need to be to be successful. Um, I think the book you're talking about right now, um, also being able to, in your travels, uh, even going back in time, you know, gathering principles from uh, people you can really respect in uh, in life, um, you know, those mentors. And it's just a great way to learn. So I think if a parable is written well, um, it engages somebody on a story level and um, you can then get the principles. Uh, you get very internalized with it um, as opposed to, let's say, a non fiction that's very uh, bulleted and uh, straightforward, more text-like, uh, those do work. Uh, but to me, uh, a short parable that somebody could read in uh, three or four hours, um, which is people's attention span now, uh, you're able to really grasp those principles and you kind of internalize it. So um, that was my goal, to try to create a, a story environment where my principles are are in it, but they're not laid out. There's no sidebars. There's no summaries at the end. You know, you read the story, you get the principles, and and you internalize it. Yeah, no, definitely, and, and I think that's so easy to do with with your book. And and uh, you know, as we mentioned, kind of in the in the uh, pre-show there, uh, 
you know, what I love about this layout is at the very beginning, some of these things that we've already talked about here, you know, letter yes. of the law versus spirit of the law, let the buyer beware versus let the seller beware. You know, the, the first 10, 12 pages of this book are extremely valuable. And it's before you even get into to the story. Um, and uh, so, again, I just really want to thank you for you know taking the time to write this book and and, and really helping people get back on the path to uh well, I mean, you, you say ethical selling, but ethics, period, right? Yes, agreed. Yeah. Agreed, um, yeah. It was a nine-year process. <laughs> well, yeah, I was actually getting ready to ask you that. So, you know, share that story a little bit, because I like the way you put it. You said you wrote the book in 10 months, but then it took you, what, like eight years, nine years to perfect yes. it? Yes. Yeah, you know, I, I wrote the book. It came out to 60,000 words, and then all of a sudden I... Uh, you know, editing end of it, uh, kind of worked on it, cut it down to 30,000, cut it down to 15,000 words, brought it up to 25,000 words, you know, just wanted to make it as clear and pointed as, uh, as it possibly could be. So that process was long. Um, and because I'm running a medical device company, uh, the time I had was nights and weekends and, and vacations. You know, many times we would be, uh, my wife and I would be vacationing in, in Maine and um, we'd be on a terrace and I'd be working on my manuscript and um, I was in a sun so I enjoyed it but uh, you know it, it was a long process and it it became something where I didn't think it was going to uh, make me money the book industry really doesn't make a lot of money unless you're a celebrity or really a, a big heavy hitter um, so really, I knew up front that I wasn't going to make the kind of money I'm used to in the medical industry uh, with the book. And in essence, I figured it would be quite a bit of a loss. Um, but I felt it was something that needed to be done. So uh, my goal is to spread ethics. Yeah. Well, it's it's very interesting the way you just put that there, right? Because your parable is about starts out with uh, somebody who you created a a, a loss leader that put somebody out of business. And now you've essentially just talked about uh, creating a loss leader to help spread ethics in business, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's kind of a full circle there, if you will. Uh, so what is the one thing uh, that, that you really hope besides just ethics, right? What, what is the one thing you really hope that, that readers take away from this book? Um, I'll give an answer. It, it might come a little uh, about from growing up in the 70s. Um, but what I'm looking for is uh, I'm looking for peace in a relationship between a buyer and seller. I want a buyer to feel comfortable that a seller is going to be ethical. Uh, treat the buyer not just with honesty, but with fairness and and goodness. So the goal is to make the seller beware. So the responsibilities are on the seller to do the right thing. And that creates um, a buyer to feel comfortable. And the buyer-seller relationship in a marketplace worldwide is just, it's through honesty and, uh, and trust. And I think once that is done, uh, the world just gets uh, quite a bit better. Yeah, I like that. And and as a consumer, I can tell you that that that's extremely important, you know, to me. Like I'm, so, you know, I'm not yes. super well off by any stretch of the imagination, but I've got great credit. I've got a great paying job. I, I know what I can afford. You know, one of the things I like to do when I'm going someplace, whether it's to buy a car or you know, when my wife and I were shopping for a home, you know, I'll go in dressed a little bit. Let me say below means, right? I'm from Northeast Tennessee. Right. I'm a jeans and t-shirt kind of guy anyway. My grandparents were like that. <laughs> you know, they, they were immigrants and you don't dress fancy when you're going to buy something. <laughs> well, right, exactly. And, and you know, for, for me, it's, it's I want to see how that person is going to treat me when I look like maybe I don't belong there, right? That's or, great. Yeah. And and I've, I've found like, you know, the, the best experiences I've had 
are the people that treat people the same, whether they come in in a Rolls Royce and Rolexes yes. and all that good stuff, or me coming in out of my, you know, my truck with my jeans and t-shirt. That's great. Yeah. And, and that, it's, go ahead. Yeah. That, that's just great. You know, it's, uh, I just buy into that so much. I mean, it's just a great way for uh, for a buyer to determine uh, a seller's intent. I, I think that's great, Earl. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Well, Joel, we've covered a lot of ground here, and I'm really hoping that the, the listeners have really kind of bought into this and and uh, and, and whether they're in a sales position, whether they're in a buyer's position, they really understand the the importance of ethics in that exchange. And, uh, you know, I hope, I really do hope, because I know you said you don't necessarily plan to make a lot of money off the book because of the way the book industry is, but well, dang it, I want you to make a lot of money off this book because I think it's got an important message. How can people find out, you know, where to get the book and find out more about you and, and, and what you're doing? Well, thank you so much. Um, you know, I, I have a website, um, uh, my web designer is building it uh, as we speak. It's very, very strong now. There's a lot of content in it. It's uh, theethicsgiver.com. Um, and there's quite a bit of videos. There's quite a bit of content, articles. Um, and then through the website, you can just click on amazon.com um, or go directly to amazon.com with, uh, selling ethically. And there's four versions of the book. There's a hard cover, a soft cover, an ebook. And I just had, um, a narrator, a very gifted actor, uh, complete an audio book. And the audio book's really a lot of fun. Mm. Uh, so there's four different formats to, um, to purchase the book. Um, and that's kind of on a ground, um, on a ground level, if you will, individual people buying. Um, my larger goal is really to sell, sell bulk sales. So it's having uh, an executive in a corporation really uh, say, hey, I read this book. I really got it. You know, let me buy a thousand of them for, um, for my sales force. So, you know, that's kind of the direction where I see uh, a niche where my book can fit in a little different than um, your standard book or your standard nonfiction. Love it. No, I, I, that's a great idea. It's a great idea. So folks, you will have the links to all that information in the show notes. Uh, so make sure that you go check those out. And uh, whether you buy one or you buy a thousand copies of the book, uh, get something because this is a great message. Uh, now I asked you a kind of a version of this question a little bit earlier, but I'm going to ask it slightly different here, not necessarily just pertaining to the book, but yes, you know, we covered a lot of ground in our conversation. Is there anything we didn't get a chance to, to touch on, whether it's book related or not, uh, that you'd really like to leave the audience with before we close out? Um, well, thank you. I, I think you were so thorough in your questions. I think we covered quite a bit. Uh, ethics is, uh, is a broad subject, um, along with, uh, all the emphasis going on, let the seller beware. There's also a buyer beware. So, uh, you know, a buyer has to act ethically too. Um, and I think that's kind of a closing statement. You know, we're, we're so leery as buyers to look out for, uh, what sellers are doing. So sometimes buyer relationships and things buyers do, uh, need to be on a higher standard too. A good example, a very fast example right now is, uh, you know, if I wanted uh, um, a high-end camera and I know I can buy it through Amazon at a very good price, uh, but I like the idea of speaking one-to-one -to, -one to a salesperson and going into a camera store and learning about the camera. So, you know, how many people will take the time of a salesperson with no intent actually to buy the product uh, from that salesperson, they're they're just going to buy it online. So I think in the example I just gave, it's important when you go into the camera store and say, you know, let me be upfront. I can get this camera at a very good price on the internet. I'd rather buy it from you. I would prefer to have a one-to-one -one relationship uh, with a salesperson and an individual store. And I am willing to spend 10, 15% more than I would on the internet. 
but not 30 or 40 percent more. So I think if you put that up front, you're allowing the salesperson to make that decision right then and there. You know, do they engage their time and uh, spend money or do they tell the person, you know, I just can't meet that price. My price is double that. You know, you better going on uh, the Internet and buy. So I find as a buyer, not as a seller, uh, I feel an obligation to be honest with sellers. So um, the buyer-seller relationship stays uh, trusting on both parts. No, I, I agree. I agree. And I, I've seen that happen a lot where, you know, people print off, a, you know, a super cheap Amazon or super cheap Best Buy or something like that and go to a mom and pop shop and expect them to be able to beat that. And, you know, truth is they sometimes can't just because they don't have that bulk buying power. So, yeah, yeah, agree, Earl. And they often can't, but if you're upfront about it, then you're letting that person know that you're not using them. Yeah. And uh, and maybe that person, if there is a 20 or 30% difference, can convince this person that it definitely pays to buy through me. You know, so then you sell your local, you sell your uh, repair, you sell your guarantee. There's many things you can sell along with um, just the hard products. So there's all these intangibles that... Uh, a local business can sell uh, in addition to the tangible, but it's up front and the seller isn't being used by the buyer and the buyer is being very ethical in the buyer seller relationship. So um, I prefer to buy local. Uh, so the key really is to let that person know that it's in a competitive situation. You are aware of it. Um, now sell me why I should buy it from you. And if you think it's a commodity and you can't provide any additional service, then tell me that up front. So then I'm not taking your time. I love it. That's, I think that's an outstanding, outstanding way to close out this podcast. And, and uh, you know, again, Joel, I really appreciate everything you've shared with us and, and uh, sharing your time and your wisdom. And again, writing the book, uh, Selling Ethically, A Business Parable Connecting Integrity with Profits. So thank you very much. My pleasure. I, I enjoyed the interview so much. All right. I appreciate that. And listeners, we appreciate you uh, sticking with us uh, for the last 50 minutes or so. I hope you've gotten a lot of great value out of this. I really do hope you go check out uh, Joel's links and check out the book. And, um, you know, thank you for, for being faithful listeners to the show. I really do appreciate that and taking uh, kind of your responsibility to, to share the show and rate the show and do all those great things that help uh, the reach of the Burden Command podcast grow and help messages like Joel spread further uh, than they would without your help. So thank you for that. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, you know how to do it. Burden.command at gmail.com. That's burden.command at gmail.com. And uh, with that, again, thank you for your time. And I look forward to speaking with you all again in the next episode. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electric acid.